Fire in the Mountains, Chapter 7. Shoto? Shoto twisted away, tried to escape the awful sound. Hey, do I know you? His heart seized. He couldn't breathe, couldn't get air. (laughs) Burn you now. Burn you now. Shoto sat straight up in the quiet dark and only just barely managed to keep the gasp of air he took from sounding like a shout. He knew the second true wakefulness hit him that he wasn't in real danger. That that awful creature wasn't really here. But his heart still raced and his neck and back were sweating. He hadn't bathed yet, and the cool sweat was mixing with the dried, flaky blood on his skin. He felt prickly and sticky and horribly unclean. He also wasn't alone in the room like he thought he was. Kotsky was sitting in the chair by the door, head thrown back and mouth wide open. He was snoring a little from the way his head rested on the chair back. Kiri was here, too. Shoto felt relief flood through him when he saw him. He was arranged carefully on his belly, and his whole back was bandaged, but what Shoto could see didn't look like the blackened crust of skin anymore. He was breathing steadily, deeply, face slack in relaxed sleep. Shoto had no idea what time it was, The single window in the back wall was covered, and the door out was closed. The room felt too warm, too close, and Shoto carefully disentangled himself from the blankets and tiptoed out. The room he stepped into, which appeared to be the only other room in the house, was also empty. So Shoto went outside, following the unobtrusive sounds of conversation. He wished he was home, in his own bed, wrapped in his own white furs. He could sneak down the hall for a quiet bath and no one would bother him, force him to communicate. He didn't want to communicate right now. Anxiety lived under his skin. He knew he wasn't in immediate danger anymore. But he couldn't shake the feeling that any second he would turn a corner and find those people. He was afraid he would never forget what it sounded like when a burnt corpse had its hand sawed off. He couldn't even think him he couldn't even let himself think about it. About other things. The hands were better than that. He'd rather picture them every minute for the rest of his life than have to consider what he'd actually seen. It was dark outside, but the village wasn't asleep. There were little fires going in front of some of the houses, and little groups were sitting in plain wooden chairs, conversing easily with each other. Izuku, Ochako, and Sue were positioned in the front of this hut, Izuku and Ochako both sat in chairs, hands twisted together, and Sue sat on the ground in front of Ochako. 
Ochako had her other hand in Sue's hair. And there were others, too, standing, walking in and out of the conversation. The only other chair there was occupied by Toshi. Prince Shoto! Toshi was the first one to see him, and he started to stand up, but Shoto lifted his hands. Shoto looked like he was recovering from some kind of illness, or maybe succumbing to one. Shoto kept having to remind himself how strong that hand on his shoulder had been. Don't, he said, perhaps a little too sternly for the situation. Toshi sat back in his chair, though. You should be sleeping, Ochako interrupted before Shoto could go on. That kind of head trauma is dangerous, even with Chiho's magic. And yours, Izuku added. Ochako shrugged and said dismissively, My healing is barely passable. Shoto stared at her and didn't say anything. He'd known all sorts of magic users back home. He knew for certain none of them had the ability to heal the way Ochako and Mina and the old lady did. Magic in the Outlands grew wild and unpredictable, but Shoto supposed that that's what made it so strong, too. She's right, Izuku said when Shoto didn't speak. He turned his green eyes on Shoto, and Shoto felt what had to be a very coincidental wave of fatigue wash over him. Felt it in his knees. Felt like he wanted to lean back against the house. It was just... There was something about Izuku, something calming and warm, something that made Shoto want to trust him, when Shoto never really wanted to trust anybody. Why don't you go lay down, and I can bring you something to eat? Izuku suggested with an earnest smile. Shoto dropped his eyes, since looking at Izuku felt strange. And when he noticed Izuku had freckles on the backs of his hands, just like the ones on his cheeks and across the bridge of his nose. It struck Shoto then that he, a prince and one of the most powerful magic users to ever carry the Todoroki name, was standing outside a backwoods hut, being told by the chief of a ridiculously inconsequential village to go back to sleep in his bed. Shoto decided some things were too strange to ever really predict. He pulled at the collar of his ruined tunic and said quietly, I'd like to wash up. And then, because he actually realized he was being standoffish, because he was unnerved by how far he had apparently fallen, he added, Please. Izuku gave him an apologetic look, and Shoto thought it might have been the only time in his life anyone had appeared sincerely sorry about something. It'll take a while to heat up. We have to pull it from the well. That's alright. I don't need hot water. Izuku and Ochako looked at each other and raised their brows a little. It's probably going to snow tonight, Izuku said quizzically. 
He was overridden, however, but Toshi inserted exuberantly, A man after my own heart! A cold bath is bracing! You've never taken a cold bath. The man in the scarf from earlier had walked up and now stood a little behind Toshi's chair. Toshi maybe hadn't realized he was there because he jumped a little. Something about the man's delivery of that fact took the wind out of Toshi's sails entirely. He sagged in his chair and looked around and said, I might have. Liar. <laughs> I'll get you some water then, Izuku ejected quickly. And then he got up. Shoto followed him to help, realizing again at the last second that he was issuing orders to these people and expecting them to be followed when he should have been on his knees thanking them for saving his life. Even after the various healings, he still had that bruise on his belly, even more livid now, like bruises sometimes got after a day or two. He'd been in serious danger, if that thing was to be believed. When Izuku stood, the man with the scarf slouched over and took his chair and, by all appearances, immediately went back to sleep. Izuku said loudly, I'm coming back, Shota. Shota gave no indication that he'd heard at all. I don't really need help, Izuku said and gently when they'd created a little distance. I don't mind, Shoto said, and he really didn't. Izuku just smiled at him and slipped around the side of the house where he'd received a, where he retrieved a man-sized tub and started moving forward towards a well set back a good distance from his house. Shoto eyed the tub and wondered if Izuku expected him to bathe next to the well since there was no possible way he could carry that thing once it was full of water. Shoto sighed a little to himself and thought, Well, at least it's out in the dark. I'm sorry we don't have more stately accommodations for you, Izuku said, giving Shoto that apologetic smile again. It's not often we play host to royalty, or... Actually, maybe never. Kotsky, Shoto pointed out. Izuku laughed. <laughs> I don't think he counts. Shoto turned his head. He's your king. He's not my king, Izuku explained. He said it very matter-of-factly, with no real venom in his voice, but there was still a bite. Something a little pointed in direct contrast to how gentle and kind Izuku had spoken thus far. He's king of the Outlands, Shoto pressed, maybe a little stubbornly. Uh, Izuku murmured, glancing at Shoto. It's, it's, it's not that straightforward as all that. The Outlands are more a series of disconnected disconnected tribes than an actual kingdom, yes, I understand, Shoto said. I'm here in the first place because Kotsky's unprecedented unification of your people intimidated my father. Uh, right, 
Izuku said carefully, setting the tub by the well. Kotsky did that by physically claiming the titles of chief from the major tribes in a few of the larger villages. After that, most of the rest pledged allegiance. But not you, Shoto said in some surprise. That didn't make sense. Koski was king of this whole sprawling nation, but not his own village. Izuku didn't say anything. Instead, he positioned the water t- tub under the little spout near the well and started to pump water out. Shoto said a little shyly, Kotsky allows that? Izuku barked another laugh, and then he quickly stifled, and Shoto watched his cheeks get a little pink in the moonlight. <laughs> you could say that. And when Shoto just stared at him, brain churning a little, Izuku said, He hasn't been home in a while. Shoto recognized it, recognized it for what it was. A diversion. Maybe not a lie, but not a direct response to what Shoto was really asking. That didn't surprise Shoto. Kotsky didn't seem to like it here, even with all the people who apparent appeared genuinely happy to see him. Or maybe he just didn't like, he didn't seem to really like Izuku. He treated Izuku with more unbridled rage than Shoto had ever seen him use with anybody before, and Shoto had goaded him into an all-out brawl in front of everyone who was close to him. When Shoto didn't say anything, Izuku pumped the water again and mumbled, I do wish the circumstances weren't what they are. And that seemed vague and pointed, and Shoto said, What? The town, Izuku answered grimly. A lot of us had friends or family in that town. I'm sorry, Shoto said, and he meant it. A sudden violent wave of nausea took him, and he must have tilted a little because Izuku reached out to grab his arm and Shoto reflexively jerked away. Izuku pulled his hand back, and Shoto said again, "Uh, Sorry. Izuku smiled at him again, and Shoto was suddenly just so tired from everything that had happened. From living with men like Enji and Kotsky and not knowing when he was going to press in just the right way to make a man lash out. From living on a knife's edge. Shoto did not trust people, but he generally trusted his gut, and right now it was telling him that this man had never lashed out like that once in his whole life. Shoto had the thought then wondered how long it would take for Izuku to disappoint him. Izuku bent down and picked the tub up and said, Let's get you cleaned up, Prince. And he then he paused. Do we call you your highness or sir? Shoto almost told him, Yes, highness would be fine or majesty or my lord, if he was feeling casual, but then he caught himself. Shoto. Izuku nodded and started walking towards the house, and Shoto realized he was carrying the fucking tub. Just 
out in front of him, arms fully extended so he didn't slosh the water on himself, like it was no heavier than a glass of water. Oh. My. He wasn't wearing anything over his tight woolen tunic. Shoto could see the muscles in his wide shoulders pop and flex. The warmth that charged through Shoto's chest and belly at that was very strange, very unfamiliar, and felt very good. Shoto shook himself a little, made himself follow Izuku, and maybe intentionally hung back just a touch. And he was so distracted by the way the cloth pulled over Izuku's shoulders and back and by how tiny his waist seemed in comparison. Wrapped as it was in the wide waistband of those high, tight outland leather breeches that he almost didn't notice when a sharp, gravelly voice snapped, Shoto! Furiously from the front of the hut. Shoto looked around in just enough time to see Katsuki barrel into sight, looking utterly furious. Izuku said, Uh, we were just getting- Shut up! Katsuki spat dismissively, looking at Shoto and stomping towards him. What the fuck is wrong with you? You don't do that! Just wander off! Shoto bristled instantly. Shall I report when I'd like to relieve myself too, my lord? Ah, oh, fuck you, Haffy. You almost died. I leave you alone for one second, and now Kiri's all fucked up. And you. At the mention of Kiri, Shoto felt the color drain from his face. Izuku said, Kachan. Just gonna lay down and fucking die? What the fuck? Like someone even looks at you in a real fight and you just wanna, what, bend the fuck over, huh? Almost caught all three of us. Kotsky, Izuku hissed. Too fucking stubborn to call for help, so just die, I guess. Make Kiri fucking take your hit since you can't even run away. There was a little flash of something, something green. And then Shoto actually jerked back because Izuku was standing in front of him, standing very close to him, and facing Kotsky. That's enough, Kachan! Shoto could feel the way they were staring at each other, could feel all the tension between them, and he opened his mouth to say something scathing and cold. Something pointed to dig at Kotsky where Shoto hoped it would hurt, but what came out was, it was Toya. The second he said the name out loud, he felt ash in his mouth, felt bile in his throat, heard that horrible, Shoto, do I know you? I don't, I used to. And then he whirled and grabbed the edge of the bathtub Izuku had sat down beside him. There was nothing in his stomach and all he did was dry heave once before he got a hold of himself and focused on the dizzy swirling in his head. Kotsky was quiet. Shoto heard Izuku move and then felt a big warm hand on his back. I'm fine, he hissed. Fine, I'm fine, don't touch me. 
He shrugged him away. When he turned back around, Kotsky was staring at him in obvious question. Shoto took a very deep breath. The man with the the face, Shoto tried. The scars, it was. Kotsky shook his head. It was, Shoto insisted. Who? Izuku interrupted. My brother. Izuku furrowed his brow and scratched the back of his head. Your brother? Why would... He didn't understand. Shoto cut him off. He's been dead for ten years, and it turns out the punishment for conspiring against the crown when your pyromancer father is basically king is very public execution by burning. Kotsky said very seriously, He didn't look like a Todoroki, Shoto. You were ten years old. You... Did you see his eyes? I guess, Kratsky answered, but... Shoto pushed around Izuku and stepped close, looked Kotsky in the eye, left cheek turned just a tiny bit forward, and then he watched Kotsky's face fall. Shoto was standing close enough that he heard it when Kotsky swallowed. It was him, Shoto said quietly. He knew my name. And then something very strange happened. Kotsky squeezed his eyes shut, took a deep breath, and then looked Shoto in the eye when he said, I'm sorry, Shoto. Shoto was so surprised, he actually looked around a little, and he was able to catch a pure shock on Izuku's face, too. I shouldn't have... I shouldn't have yelled like that. When Shoto just stared, too startled to really interject, Kotsky added, Kiri. I know. Shoto heard himself mutter. Kotsky stared at a spot on Shoto's neck for a moment, and then looked up at Shoto's face, and then he nodded sharply. There was more to say. That Shoto was sorry he'd forced Kiri to save him. That he was sorry he'd hit his head and left Kotsky to fight alone. That he was sorry he'd frozen like that. And really, he had. He thought back to the haphazard attacks he'd thrown, the completely thoughtless ways he'd tried to defend himself, and he was embarrassed by how amateur, how sloppy it had been. If Kotsky and Kiri hadn't been there, he would have died several times over. If Kotsky hadn't gotten him here, what would have happened then? There was more to say, but Shoto wasn't ready to say it yet. I think you should tell me exactly what happened, Izuku said quietly. Kotsky's face darkened. I'll tell you what the fuck I want to, shitty Deku. Izuku rolled his eyes, apparently not surprised at all by that response. I was talking to Shoto Kachan. Shoto liked the way Izuku said his name. He focused on that instead of the greater conversation, instead of Toya. 
Shoto met Izuku's eyes and felt that wave of fatigue again, the overwhelming desire to just sit down. They were taking hands, he said quietly. Izuku's eyes flickered away from Shoto's face for a moment in shock, moved towards Koski before they flicked right back. Hands. You said that earlier. They'd gathered the whole village into one building, and when I found them, they were taking their hands. Izuku shook his head. Why would they? Soldiers, Shoto hissed. During the fight, he used one to... That's what that was? Kotsky mumbled loudly. I didn't see what happened to it. Shoto realized. I killed it, or stopped it. It disintegrated, I guess. How? Shoto asked, finally turning towards him. I hit it with so much fire. You can cast fire? Izuku said with Aston interest. Kotsky and Shoto both looked at him a little sharply, and he said, Sorry, I thought it was just the ice. Shoto glanced at Koski, who rolled his eyes and shrugged. Shoto sent a little spark up in de- demonstration, and Izuku bent forward all at once, almost swooped in and started mumbling, Fascinating. You cast the ice with your other hand and he- your hair. Is that related? Koski keeps calling you happy, so I guess... Yes. Shoto interrupted, a little bemused by Izuku's sudden interest. Fire on my left ice with my right. Incredible, can you fuck off? Kotsky interrupted sharply. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Izuku pulled back and rubbed the back of his head and actually beamed at Shoto in a strange, shy sort of way, and it was... Shoto swallowed and tried staring at Izuku's chest instead of his face, but that wasn't much better. So he tried the ground, Izuku's feet, the bathtub. Oh, right. Cleaned up. Izuku bent suddenly and picked up the bathtub again. Kotsky and Shoto both followed him, Kotsky positively fuming for some reason. Izuku took them back into the hut and said, I'll make sure no one comes in. He gave Shoto a smile. I'm sorry it's so cold. Shoto stuck his hand in the water and graced Izuku with a ghost of a smile while he heated it up. Izuku watched intently at Shoto and as he guessed he would, and then Shoto pulled his hand back a few seconds later and said, You must be really strong, huh? Shoto really did smile at the look on Izuku's face. Kotsky scoffed and mumbled, Give me a fucking break. Can you make something cold? Izuku asked, ignoring Kotsky entirely and looking around for something for Shoto to freeze. Shoto wasn't sure why he did it, 
Maybe because annoying Kotsky was an entertaining pastime. Maybe because there had been so much darkness in the past 24 hours, so much destruction, and he just wanted to make something beautiful. Maybe it was something else. But Shota wordlessly handed, held out his right hand and did something he hadn't done in a while. He made Izuku a rose blossom. It was something he'd learned from his mother. And after that, Fiyumi. He'd spent hours alone in his room when his father was in a temper, carefully building the ice up out of his hand, turning the frost to petals. The first time he had shown his mother, she cried. Fiyumi always laughed, though. It had been a very long time since Shoto had made one. So, to his discerning eye, it was a little off, not quite centered the way he liked, not quite as detailed. But Izuku's eyes got very wide when Shoto held out his hand to tip the blossom into Izuku's. He peered at it so closely his nose almost touched. And then he looked up and fixed Shoto with a bright, sunny smile again, and it was so utterly lovely, Shoto suddenly felt embarrassed just for looking. Izuku said, Thank you! This is beautiful! Can I show Ochako? Of course. Izuku gave him another warm smile and then moved towards the door. At the last minute, he pointed and said, Oh, uh, there's soap over there. He motioned to a little space near the fireplace where Shoto saw a wash bucket with a few glass bottles. Enjoy your bath, Shoto! He left the room, shutting the door behind him, and Shoto spent one very short moment admiring the way his shoulders had filled up the doorway. Before he could think too hard on it, however, Kotsky hissed, Put your fucking eyes back in your head, princess. Shoto's stomach rolled, but he still turned and gave Kotsky a dry, flat glare. It wasn't any of Kotsky's business what Shoto did with his eyes. Kotsky grumbled, bastard, and then stomped off without another word, locking himself in the room with Kiri. Shoto stared at the door for a long time before he got in his bath, wondering just what exactly a man could do to make Koski Bakugo hate him that much. Shoto woke with the sun the next day, and he tiptoed out of the house, past Kotsky still sleeping in his chair, past Izuku and Ochako in a little makeshift bed in the front room, and into the light. He was wearing one of Izuku's tunics. Kotsky was too, actually and the soft wool fit him strangely. The sleeves weren't quite long enough, and the shoulders hung off of him. He was thin compared to Izuku, but a bit taller. It was a cool morning, but Shoto just warmed himself with magic. The sun shone clear and strong through the bracing mountain air, and Shoto realized he'd never properly watched an outland sunrise before. The quality of the light was different here. Sharper, somehow. Shoto sat down in one of the wooden chairs and listened to the village wake up, absently creating laces of frost along the arm of the chair. He wasn't sure how Kotsky intended to get home with Kiri injured as he was. Surely he couldn't fly them. 
not when it was it was his wings that had taken such damage. The village folks had horses, true, but Shoto wasn't sure they had any to spare. The real problem, though, the one that had kept Shoto up all night, was leaving these people unprotected. That attack had occurred so close to them, and Shoto knew if he and Kotsky left, He'd have trouble turning his thoughts from such a quiet, vulnerable little town until the threat was properly dealt with. Shoto had been sitting there for a very long time when the door opened and Izuku stepped outside, yawning in the light. He immediately hunched his shoulders and rubbed his arms against the chill, and Shoto kindled the remnants of last night's fire for him. Oh, Prince Shoto! Good morning. You should try and get your rest, you know. I imagine Kachan will probably want to head back this, to his castle as soon as Kiri wakes up. Why do you call him that? Izuku's lips pulled down. Just a childhood nickname. You grew up together? Izuku nodded. Has he always... Hated me? <laughs> yeah. Shoto winced. Izuku gave a little chuckle. <laughs> yes. And then for a while, no. And then... Why? Izuku shrugged and sat down in the chair next to Shoto, closest to the fire. People change sometimes? Shoto frowned and wondered if it had anything to do with Kotsky becoming king. If he'd always been so brash and arrogant, or if claiming all those tribes and villages had made him that way. Has he always been like this? Shoto heard himself asking, even though he thought maybe he shouldn't. It was strange that Izuku was so easy to talk to. Um, like what? loud. Shoto mumbled, short-tempered, arrogant, violent. Izuku snorted. If you think he's bad now, you should have seen him when we were kids. What? This is him better? Izuku sa er, Shoto said with a dismissive laugh. Izuku looked up from the fire and nodded. I think so. He seems... More level than he did when I... Zuku cleared his throat. <clears> throat. Last time I saw him. And then he added a little wistfully. Kingship suits him, I guess. Shoto looked carefully into the fire, too. You don't think very highly of him, then, do you? No. Shoto said without hesitation, and then he realized with a bit of shock that that wasn't actually true. He, well, he's not what I expected, Shoto answered instead. What did you expect? Someone like my father, I think, Shoto realized. Someone cruel, but, well... Wasn't that strange? But Kotsky's really not. 
Shota mumbled. <laughs> he pretends to be, Azuku said wryly. That's, that was it, wasn't it? Pretending at callousness. But a cruel man wouldn't have apologized to Shoto like Kotsky had last night. A cruel man wouldn't have refused to leave Shoto when someone he cared about indefinitely more was in such dire distress. And he had refused to leave Shoto, hadn't he? Fuck, he'd screamed and raged and maybe shoved Shoto along if Shoto was within reach, but he hadn't left. He'd kept Shoto awake and moving, and there wasn't a single doubt in Shoto's mind that he'd be dead if Kotsky hadn't done that. Dead. He's a good man, I think, Izuku said very quietly. Shoto had known so few of those in his life, he wasn't sure if he would recognize one if he saw him. The realization that Kotsky might just be that. But if Shoto tallied up the evidence, the gifts, the way he left Shoto alone and didn't ask for things Shoto wasn't willing to give, things he could ask for as Shoto's sort of husband, the way he was with his servants and his lovers and his friends, Shoto suddenly wasn't sure which one of them had been worse. If Koski had snipped and picked until Shoto flared up into a fury, or if it was the other way around. Maybe they'd been fueling the other's fire all along. Shoto had expected cruelty and reacted cruelly in return. Maybe Kotsky hadn't ever really deserved that. Maybe. He's a good king at least, Shoto said. Shoto could deduce that much. He wasn't sure if Izuku was right, but he wasn't sure he was wrong either. Further conversation was prevented by the door of Izuku's house banging open violently, and a very welcome voice squealing, Izuku! Shoto looked around in alarm just in time to see a red streak barrel into Izuku and actually knock him out of the chair. Izuku, 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 I missed you so much. Kotsky said you were never coming home. You left, and I missed you. And it's been so long. It's been years, Izuku, years. Hizuku laughed and hugged Kiri back just as fiercely as Kiri was hugging him and mumbled, You shouldn't be up yet. You got hurt, silly. I'm fine. I'm a dragon, Kiri said dismissively. Why are you so big? You're not supposed to have shoulders like this. Look at your arms. You're almost as big as mine. Well, you weren't around, so I had to learn to move all the heavy things by myself. Izuku told him, and then Shoto suddenly realized with ringing clarity exactly who Izuku was. People change, he'd said. Hated me? Yes. And then for a while, no, and then. You look so good, Ikiri said enthusiastically, and then he put his whole face on Izuku's chest and said, mm, You smell so good. You know, Kiri added, voice changing very abruptly into something almost shy. 
I bet you're even stronger now than you used to be, huh? Shoto felt something prickle along the back of his neck when he remembered Izuku lifting the bathtub. <laughs> I, I think that's enough, Izuku said hastily, voice pitched low like Kiri's was. Don't let him hear you talk like that. Kiri scowled, but then he said, Yeah, you're probably right. Izuku pulled himself up off the ground and said, We should get Chio to check your bandages. Kiri shrugged and then winced, and he said, uh, Yeah, okay. Izuku nodded and started heading towards the other hut, and Kiri said, Shoto! Hi, Shoto! Hi, Kiri, Shoto said with a smile he couldn't fight off. I'm so glad you're okay. I thank you for protecting me. The words felt strange, felt too much like an admission of weakness in a way, but the way Kiri beamed at him made it worth it. Who were those men? Kiri asked. The one with the fire? My scales are really hard to burn. Kiri said curiously, Most fire doesn't hurt. His was very hot, Shoto said with a sick squirm in his belly. That's why it was blue. I couldn't make fire that hot, I don't think, Shoto admitted. What happened? Kiri asked. I don't remember anything. You'll have to ask Kotsky, Shoto told him. I hit my head, and my memories aren't very clear. Are you still hurt? Kiri's whole face fell, and he stood up from the ground where he was sitting cross-legged and reached for Shoto like he might help him in some way. I was, but I'm better now, Shoto told him. After she helped you, uh, Chio helped me too. And Ochako. <laughs> I really didn't do much, Ochako said from the doorway. Kiri twisted around and then jumped forward when he saw her. She giggled while he wrapped her in a very big hug and then kissed her on the cheek and the top of the head. <laughs> oh, it's good to see you, Kirishima, Ochako told him, especially now that you're awake. If we're done with all these sappy feelings bullshit, Kotsky interrupted, we need to leave. What? No breakfast? Ochako asked Riley. Kotsky just glared at her, but there was no venom in it. And then he said, I mean all of us. All of you. We're shithead. Everyone gave him a very flat look in response. <sighs> Deku. He went to go get Chio, Kiri said, to check my bandages. Hey, Kotsky, did you see how big his shoulders got? Shut up, Kirishima. Kotsky hissed petulantly. He disappeared back in the house and didn't come out again until Izuku was back, the tiny old woman in tow. While she was talking to Kiri, Ochako was listening in. Kotsky marched up to Izuku and said, You're coming with us. Izuku smiled very politely and said, Excuse me?
you can't stay here. It's too dangerous. You'll all, you're all coming back to the stronghold with me. No, we're not, Kachan, Izuku said firmly. We're not leaving our homes. Yes, you are, Koski said furiously. You're coming with me, and that's fucking final. Oh, is it? Izuku crossed his arms over his chest and gave Koski a very amused look. Shoto started watching a little more openly when he saw little explosions going off in Kotsky's palms. Yes, Kotsky growled. Kachan, Izuku said in a low, quiet voice that made Shoto's stomach flip over a little. You're not our chief. Fuck you, Deku. Kotsky suddenly flared up like Shoto had never seen from him before. You're coming back with me! Don't make me make you! <laughs> make me? Izuku said. Just because I let you be chief. You let me? Izuku's voice was getting lower, calmer. Ochako watched them from Kiri's side, chewing on her lip. Kiri looked between them and up at Ochako, wide-eyed. By all means, Kachan. If you think you can, come and take it. And then that was it. Shoto fully expected Kotsky to charge him, to beat him into a pretty green-eyed pulp, but Kotsky thoroughly stunned Shoto when he didn't do any of that. You're not safe here, Koski hissed. If you want to stay here just to spite me, fine. But I'm not letting our mothers get killed because you are too damn proud to let me keep you all safe. Ochako said, Izuku. And Izuku, who had been staring at Koski in the closest approximation to fury that Shoda had seen from him so far, turned his head. You can't honestly think, Izuku began, with me and Ochako and Toshi and Shota and... Look at this town, Kachan. We'll be fine. No, Katsuki said, you won't. You really think? They took Kiri out with one hit. They made Shoto look like a fucking street performer, and he may look like a pretty little princess, but the man's not a fucking pushover in a fight. Shoto found himself blinking in shock, a strange heat in his cheeks. They left, Kotsky spat suddenly, eyes falling on Izuku's face. I didn't win. They left. No one said anything. Shoto had almost hoped he'd imagined that part. Had hoped that the fight ad hadn't actually been as one-sided as it seemed. You're serious. Izuku said quietly. Without meeting his eyes, Kotsky jerked his head with a quick nod. Pack up, Chako. Izuku said, turning to, turning to Uraka. And just like that, everyone was moving.
Shoto saw Kotsky's shoulders sink in relief, and suddenly the whole village was a whirl with activity. Someone ran around to all of the houses to spread word. Izuku stood outside for a while, answering questions and issuing orders, until Kotsky came to him and muttered, We need to go back and check the village, see if they left anything behind. Shoto, who was standing in front of Izuku's hut and trying not to get in anyone's way, was shamefully relieved when they didn't ask him to go. Instead, two women Shoto hadn't met until now were recruited. Shoto watched the four of them disappear into the woods and Ochako appeared at his side. Don't worry, they'll be fine. I wasn't, Shoto lied. Momo and Kiyoka are strong, Ochako told him. Are they? Shoto muttered. They hadn't looked all that intimidating. Oh yeah, Ochako said. Kiyoka will be able to hear if there's anyone left in the village, and Momo can conjure all sorts of things. Weapons, traps, things like that. They'll be fine. Logically, Shoto believed her, but they didn't stop him from staring off into the woods every five minutes for the next two and a half hours until they all came back. When they all emerged from the woods in a little line, Kotsky looked furious. The other three were white-faced and clearly unnerved. Izuku whispered something to the two women and they broke off, presumably presumably to prepare for the mass exit they were all about to make. Kotsky and Izuku both met Kiri, Ochako, and Shoto at Izuku's hut. Anything? Ochako blurted before anyone else could. Izuku shook his head grimly. Kotsky looked at Shoto and said, You said they had all the people in that one building? Shoto nodded. Then they came back. Kotsky mumbled. They cleared it out for... Dobby. Shoto said because the other name still burned in the back of his throat every time he said it. Or thought about it. They got what they came for. Shoto mumbled. Kotsky nodded. He was impatient while everyone packed up. He kept huffing and glancing at Izuku and mumbling under his breath when people ran up to Izuku with questions. Kotsky kept telling Izuku to tell them to leave everything and just come on, but Izuku was very firm. Only take what you can stand to lose, he told them. I'm sure our king can handle the incidentals. By noon, they were all ready to leave. The crowd, maybe thirty people total, gathered just outside the little ring of huts with their bags and horses ready to make the trip back to the castle. Izuku had given Shoto his horse, and since he found himself immensely fatigued if he stood for more than a few minutes at a time, Kiri had one too. They all stood back at the empty village and looked, and Shoto felt something in his heart clench. It had been a quiet, peaceful little space, and now it looked 
deserted. Nothing was left. The town people, who were mostly adults, Shoto had noticed, with one or two exceptions, had gathered everything they needed to move. Every dog and cat, every chicken and pig and goat and cow. The people were all disconcertingly quiet, which unnerved Shoto when he compared to the anxious noises of the caged and leashed animals. Toshi was staring at the houses, standing up perfectly straight for once and towering over everyone else. Shota and another man with long blonde hair were both standing very close to him, but not touching. Izuku was standing nearby too, face pinched and his hands on the shoulders of a short, roundish little woman with long hair the exact shade of Izuku's and tears in her eyes. Toshi said very quietly, Young Izuku. Izuku said, It's just houses. And then, like he was trying to convince himself, The people, we have to. Yes, Toshi replied, and then he said something that, for some reason, made Shoto's heart ache. After all, I'm not the chief I once was. It wouldn't matter if you were, Kotsky said. Shoto hadn't even realized he was listening. His voice was low, low enough that only the people nearest could hear. It wouldn't matter if there were a hundred of you, and a hundred Izukus too. You're not safe here. Hearing Kotsky say Izuku's name sent a shock down his Shoto's spine, and the things he'd said... It made Shoto wonder just what Izuku was hiding under all that muscle and those beautiful eyes. Nothing about him seemed the slightest bit intimidating. But it was becoming very clear to Shoto that people in this town, and Kotsky, considered Izuku to be a very dangerous man. Toshi turned his head and stared at Kotsky with his tired, sunken eyes and said, you have become a fine king, Kotsky Bakugo. Kotsky lifted his chin, dropped his voice even lower so that Shoto almost didn't hear him when he said very deliberately, I learned from the best. Toshi's face folded just a little. He gave Kotsky a very stiff-lipped stare, nodded once sharply, and Shoto made the mistake of looking at Izuku. He was staring at Kotsky with that same shocked expression on his face he'd worn when Kotsky had apologized to Shoto. Like he truly couldn't believe what he was hearing. Like he was glad he was hearing it. Kotsky's eyes slid past Toshi, and when he saw Izuku, they shared something. Something Shoto didn't understand at all. Kotsky looked away first, looked across the empty village, and then Izuku said, Let's go. Ah, uh, just a minute, Achako announced, stepping forward. She was holding her little staff, and when everyone drew up short to watch her, she clasped her hands in front of her. 
The gnarled knot at the end of the staff seemed to glow, flickered in the afternoon sun. And then Ochako spread her hands, the flowy, pale pink dress she was wearing, brushing the dirt as she moved. With the little flick of both wrists, the light glowing at, the, at her staff shot away, gleaming, and paused in the center of town where it spread out in a huge dome over the empty houses like rain. The cage of light glimmered once and then was gone. Ochako smiled in satisfaction and then stumbled a little, so Sue, who was standing closest, had reached out to steady her. "'What did you do?' Izuku asked, amused. <laughs> "'Just a little warning spell,' she said, "'to keep everything safe while we're gone. "'It'll take some real effort to get through that.' Izuku pulled her close and kissed her on the temple. "'Thank you.' And then he looked at Katsuki and said again, "'Let's go.' And so they all started to walk. End of chapter 7